Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Sometimes when I'm studying the weekly Torah portion, my mind will be, my eye will be drawn to something at the very beginning of the Torah portion, and I get fixated on it. I'm unable to shake it or to uh, escape from it. So my, uh, my, my brain will be telling me, you need to keep going on and read more of the Torah portion, study more of the Torah portion, and discern meaning from the rest of it. And my heart will be telling me, no, there's something right there in that very beginning passage that you need to meditate on and reflect on because there's depth to it and there's meaning to it that... Uh, could be meaningful for your life and uh, meaningful for your congregants as well. So that happened to me this week. As I mentioned before, this is known as Parashat Yitro, this parasha, this Torah portion that deals with the receiving of the Ten Commandments, receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai, uh, begins in some way with a family story. Moses' father-in-law, Yitro, Jethro, uh, after hearing all that uh, God had done for the children of Israel in Egypt, and according to some commentators also uh, for, uh, for, for having delivered the children of Israel from Amalek, the war that we find at the end of last week's Torah portion, Yitro is moved to find the children of Israel in the wilderness to track them down and to reunite Moses with his wife Zipporah and his two sons Gershom and Eliezer. Now, why Moses was not with his wife and two sons is a matter of debate and conversation. I'm not getting into that uh, today. Uh, and uh, what Yitro's exact purpose is in reuniting with, uh, with Moses and the children of Israel at this juncture is also an interesting conversation, but not what I want to focus on today. I just want to focus on something that seems like an offhand remark as the Torah is introducing the scene in which Mo, uh, Yitro reunites with Moses, it says this. It says, Yitro Kohen Midian Choten Moshe et kol asher asa Elohim Yisrael amo. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, God's people. Ki Adonai Yisrael Mimitzrayim, because God had brought Israel out from Egypt. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after she had been sent home, and also her two sons, for the name of one was Gershom, because he said, I am, was a stranger in a strange land. 
Vashem ha'echad Eliezer ki Elohei avi be'ezri v'yatzileni mecherev paro. And this name of the other was Eliezer because the God of my father was my help and saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. It's this sort of offhand commentary on the meaning of the names of Moses' children that struck me, and in particular the name of Moses' first child, Gershom, because I was a stranger in a foreign land. Why was it that Moses named his son that name? It's not the first time, by the way, that we're introduced to Gershom with that description of where his name comes from. Also, in the first Torah portion from the book of Genesis, we're told about Gershom, and we're told about the name that he's given for that same reason, for I was a stranger in a foreign land. That phraseology, for those of you who are Torah scholars here, is also not an unfamiliar phraseology in the Torah. Somewhere approaching 36 times in the Torah were given instructions that hearken back to our experience as strangers in a strange land. For you were strangers in a foreign land. Now typically when people talk about that phraseology when it appears elsewhere in the Torah, hearkening back to the experience of the children of Israel living as foreign sojourners in a land that's not theirs. By the way, there's a common misconception about the term ger. Uh, sometimes today we use the term ger to, de to describe somebody who converts to Judaism. Uh, that's not what the Torah means by the word ger. Uh, if it did, it would make absolutely no sense in most of the places in which it's found. So think about Moses' son named Gershom. Because I was a convert in a land that was not mine. That doesn't really make much sense, does it? No, ger means, and this was taught to me just the other week in a conference I was at by Rabbi Shai Held, who is uh, one of the deans of an incredible institution called Mechon Hadar in New York. Shai Held said that ger, uh, contextually in the Bible, refers to this. A foreigner who has come to sojourn in a land not of his or her ancestral home. A foreign sojourner, a migrant, somebody who's come under the dominion, under the authority and under the power of strangers. And so in the Torah, 36 times, the Torah legislates special protections that we're supposed to offer such foreign sojourners, which is actually a revolutionary concept in the Bible. Most ancient Near Eastern systems, Shai held taught, Professor Shai held taught, had special protections for widows and orphans and the poor, which also the Torah has. But no other system in the ancient Near East had special protections for gerim, for foreign sojourners migrants who come to live under your dominion. No other system had this. This is a revolutionary concept in the Torah to offer special protections to foreign sojourners. And that's why 36 times in the Torah we're reminded to do it because of our own immigrant experience, because of our history of oppression and suffering 
at the hands of foreign powers when we were strangers sojourning in their land. But if you think about it, that is not Moses' experience. When Moses names Gershom Gershom, for the reason the Torah describes, he didn't have the experience of suffering as a foreigner in a foreign land. He was raised in prosperity in Pharaoh's palace. And then he runs away from Pharaoh's palace after having killed an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite. And he finds his way into the land of Midian, where he is also taken in to the house of royalty in Midian by Jethro, by Yitro, who becomes his father-in-law. Moses' experience as a foreign sojourner is actually not one of oppression and subjugation and poverty. It's actually one of wealth and prominence and prestige. So why is it that the same phraseology, the same formulation is used by Moses to describe his experience as is also used later in the Bible to describe the exact opposite immigrant experience? And I think it's for this reason. Think about Moses' life. Moses, a foreigner in a foreign land, was saved by an Egyptian princess, was raised in the house of Pharaoh, and then a fugitive from the law in Egypt runs away to Midian, and instead of being turned back over to the authorities in Egypt, which he very easily could have, Egypt's reach extended even to Midian, and certainly there were uh, palace guards looking for him all over, but he was taken under the protection, under the sanctuary of the priest of Midian, of Jethro, and brought into his household as a son, and harbored and sheltered and given prosperity in that land too. The experience of Moses as a foreigner in a strange land is the experience of someone who has benefited from the protection and the adoption of what we would call, now in our time, Righteous among the nations, or righteous Gentiles. People who are not Jewish, who nevertheless put their lives on the line, their reputations on the line, their fortunes on the line, in order to offer protections to a foreigner. Remember in Egypt, when Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses, Moses and every other Hebrew baby boy was under a death decree by order of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's daughter risks her life in an act of civil disobedience to that decree in order to adopt Moses. Yitro, too, does the same thing. Moses is a fugitive from the law, as I mentioned before. He could have been putting himself and his family at great risk and a great danger by taking Moses inside, and nevertheless, he does. Just as throughout our history, we have benefited from the vision and the kindness of righteous among the nations, of righteous Gentiles. So much so that if you go to Holocaust museums everywhere, special wings are dedicated to these incredibly brave souls 
who risked everything in order to make sure that we were saved, that we were safe. There are people, even in our community, who have benefited from that protection. And so when Moses names his child Gershom, because I was a foreigner sojourning in a strange land, he's hearkening back not to a history of oppression as a foreigner, but a history of liberation and protection at the hands of righteous Gentiles. So why are we offered that in this week's Torah portion? I think we're offered that because the Torah is presenting to us two important sides of the coin. On the one hand, we are expected to protect strangers, foreigners, people who are at a disadvantage because of our own negative experience but also because of our own positive experience. Because when we were in need, people looked out for us. Those who didn't, we call unrighteous. And those who did, we call righteous. When we were in need, people looked out for us. And so in addition to building the kind of society that the Torah envisions, in especially this Torah portion in the creation of the Decalogue, but also throughout the Torah, we're called not only to build a society of justice, but also to be, like righteous Gentiles, righteous Jews. To offer protection and sanctuary to those who are in need, especially to foreigners living in a land that is not theirs. In the prelude to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, God gives the reason why God is giving the Torah. He says, You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests doesn't mean a kingdom of really special people. A kingdom of priests means a, the function of a priest in ancient society was to care for those in need, to make sure that people who were pushed to the margins of society could be brought back into society. People who were at a disadvantage and marginalized could be brought back into the fold and enabled to participate fully in the society in which they found themselves. That was the function of the priest. And in that way, Yitro, Jethro, who was Kohen Midian, the priest of Midian, was fulfilling that very function by adopting Moses, by acting as what we would call a righteous Gentile, or what Yitro would have just called being righteous or being a priest. And we are called, the whole Torah is bracketed by the promise that if you follow this instruction, you will be a kingdom of priests. God is urging us to be a kingdom of priests, to be a kingdom of priests like Jethro, who Moses celebrates in the naming of his son Gershom, to be, in the words of my teacher, Rabbi Sharon Brous, in this moment and in every moment, not righteous Gentiles, but righteous Jews, 
making sure that we care for the vulnerable, the marginalized, the foreigner who comes to live in our land regardless of status because by their very nature, they are under threat and they have the possibility of being harmed at any minute. And so our Torah teaches us that we have a special responsibility to be like those righteous Gentiles and to fulfill our responsibility of being a kingdom of priests by being righteous Jews.